but the more we worship, it's getting warmer in here. I like it. I like it. It's for selfish reasons. Yeah, amen. Amen. Well, we're glad you could be here this morning. If you're our guest, we want to welcome you again. My name is Ben, lead pastor here at Strong Tower. We're glad you could be with our family today. As Lacey pointed out, we have a new way of doing Connect Card. You can have a QR code. I'm sure it'll come up later in the service as well if you missed it, or you can fill it out in the uh, seat in front of you. We would love to connect with you. We would love to get to know you and see how we can be a blessing in your life. Let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 10 this morning, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Mark chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 46 to 52. 46 to 52 as we continue our series in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10. If you have it, say amen. Hear the reading of God's word. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, the way of mercy. The way of mercy. Let's pray before we dive in. Lord Jesus, as we come to your text today, we humble ourselves, surrender ourselves to your words. We ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would show up in this place and help us to hear from you what you would have for us. May you transform us into your image that we might love you more. With all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you've lived up north, and I haven't ever, I've been living in Florida my whole life, they tell me that there's a thing called peephole driving peephole driving. And even if, if you're you know, a native Floridian and haven't been out much, and you, you may have experienced this on an offhand opportunity where it gets, you know, that one day of the year in the winter, it gets cold enough that there's ice on your car. And it happened to me actually a couple years ago. I was walking out of the house early in the morning. It was a cold winter day, one of those rare days. And um, I'm running late as usual, getting out of the house, trying to get to where I'm going. I walk out of the house and I see my car is covered in ice on the windshield. And I realize that this is not just like a simple turn on your windshield wipers. It's, it's thick ice. And so I don't know if it rained the night before and froze or what happened, but somehow there's ice on my windshield. And so you have to get a tool, a little scraper to get all the ice off. You know what I'm talking about? 
And as soon as you start scraping the ice off, it's freezing outside. You're, you're getting colder by the second. And then you realize a minute or two in, this is not really going anywhere. And you've, you've somehow carved out a little tiny circle about that big. It might be the size of like a little small pizza. And then you realize, I need to do this on the backside so I can see out my rear window as well. And so you go around to the backside, you start chiseling away, scraping away, and you get maybe even a smaller hole like this big, like the size of a baseball. And then you're running out of time, so you just got to jump in the car. And then you realize, as you're driving, I can't see anything. I, I can't. This is what they call peephole driving. You start to drive and you're leaning up against the steering wheel like this, getting as close as you can to the windshield so you can try to see as possibly as far as you can, but you still can't see very well. The worst part is when you start driving, you realize you look around and you see all the other drivers doing the same thing. They're all leaning up against the, the uh, steering wheel trying to see out of this little tiny hole. Why does that happen? Why does it happen to me? Why does it maybe happen to you? Or maybe in Florida, our version of that is the downpouring rain on the interstate, right? Why, why do we not stop and slow down and take the time? It's because we're too busy to prioritize seeing. We're, we're too busy of all the other things we got going on. We, we got to slow down long enough to be able to see where we're going, but that, that takes too much time. So we got to get on to the next thing. We got to move. We got to go. We got to get on so we can get done. I mean, busyness in our culture, we've talked about this before in our church, is, is kind of this badge of honor, right? I mean, if you inter- introduce yourself to somebody or just greet somebody casually in our culture and you say, how you doing? And they say, oh, I'm doing busy. You know, it's, it's like an automatic response. How are you doing? Busy, busy, busy. You know, just got this going on and that going on. And we, we go from one thing to the next. You know, you got the kids have practice and the kids got a recital. And, you know, you got this thing at your job. And now we're getting into Christmas season where there's Christmas parties and Christmas shopping and Christmas meals and all these things that, that take up so much time. And, and you start to wonder, how do I have any time for all the things I have to get done? Right? I mean, you, you feel that way? You, that there's just so much busyness. And what happens is when we get so busy, especially in this season, we start moving past people and we don't move towards people. We start missing people. We're, we're living life through this little peephole that we've carved out and that's all we can see. We can't see anyone else. And what happens is we can't love people that way because love rarely happens in a hurry. We have to see people in order to love people. That's what I want to look at this morning as we're continuing our text uh, in the book of Mark. If you're with us for the first time, we've been walking through the gospel of Mark, which is the story of Jesus's life. There's four gospels in the New Testament. Mark is one of those gospel stories that tells the life of Jesus. And the whole second half of Mark's story of Jesus's life is all around this question, what did Jesus come to do? What did he come to do? And what we saw last week was Jesus and his disciples had different answers to that question. Jesus' disciples, their, their vision for what Jesus came to do was he came to make me successful. He came to make me uh, powerful. He came to make me comfortable. He came to move my life upwards because I was already headed in a good trajectory and he just came to lift me up a little bit more. 
And Jesus completely flips that on its head. And he says, if you want to be great, here's what it means to be great. You become the least. So you're not moving upward, but you're moving downward. And it's at the bottom. Listen, it's at the bottom that you find out who I am. And so now the rest of Mark, after he kind of lays out that different vision, the rest of Mark's gospel is showing us how that actually works out, not just for Jesus's life, but for our life. And so now we come to this story of Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus is the prime example of what it means to live that life as the least of these. It's incredible. How do we live out that life? It's really the way of mercy. The way of mercy is here at the bottom. And so rather than hurrying past people, we slow down to move towards people, but it only happens with that trajectory. So how do we do that? That's what I want to look at today. It begins with slowing down. So we're going to look at three steps. The first one is slowing down, slowing down. Look at verse 46 with me as we jump into this story. It says this, And they came to Jericho. That's speaking of Jesus and his disciples. It says, They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now pause there for a second. Now, if you don't know the geography of Jerusalem, which you may not, and that's okay, Jerusalem is higher up than most of the area around it. So Jerusalem is literally thousands of feet above where Jericho is. And so if you imagine this scene, you've got thousands of people. uh, Mark says it's a, a massive crowd that has gathered around Jesus, and they're all headed up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And so you can imagine all these people up towards Jerusalem, and it's a 20-mile treacherous terrain. Like, this is a dangerous road with lots of obstacles. People die. People get robbed. This is a dangerous path they are walking. And here they are, thousands of them, following Jesus, begging for his attention. Jesus, would you heal me? Jesus, would you teach me? Jesus, would you talk to me? Jesus, just trying to, all these thousands of people trying to get Jesus' attention And you can imagine the chaos that is on that road. And then one voice out of all that chaos makes its way through. And Mark says it's Bartimaeus, this blind beggar who's who's on the side of the road. I mean, what would happen on the road to Jerusalem was all these folks would line up along the path, especially the closer you got to the city, and they knew these these religious pilgrims are headed towards the feast, and this might be an opportunity that they would be generous. This might be an opportunity that they would give alms, as they called it. And so all these people would line the road, and as they heard the crowd coming, Bartimaeus notices that Jesus is there. And so he notices that Jesus is more than who everyone else thinks. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Right? Bart knew that this man, he was not just any other man. He was not just a teacher or a healer. or He, he knew that he wasn't just some righteous man or some rabbi. He, he knew that this was somebody who was different than anyone else expected. This was the Messiah. This was the Christ. And if he was, he could heal me. 
if he was, he could have mercy on me. And so he, ironically, sees differently than everyone else. Here's a man who physically can't see Jesus, but as Jesus is in this massive crowd, he can see who Jesus is spiritually. There's something about being on the margins that helps you see Jesus. There's something about being on the side that helps you get a better viewpoint. And so here's Bartimaeus crying out desperately for Jesus. And what does the crowd do? Look at what happens. They rebuke him in verse 48. It says, And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Right For the, for the crowds, the, this guy was just a nuisance on their society. He, he was somebody that you just walk past, you ignore, you, you maybe give a smile uh, or maybe drop a dollar or something. But, but this was a guy that you tried to not interact with. And so they, as the crowds who are following Jesus, they, they view themselves as, as we are worthy of Jesus' time, but you're not worthy of Jesus' time. Jesus has a lot of important things to do. Jesus needs to be on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus doesn't have time for someone like you, and so you need to be silent and know your place. But it doesn't stop him, right? I mean, Bartimaeus, he, he decides, I'm, I'm going to get louder. I'm going to get more intense. I'm going to continue to push, just like that song we sang. I'm going to chase after you no matter what it takes. I'm going to go towards Jesus. And so he gets louder and more intentional and he says, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. He is not going to be stopped. He's desperate. And his desperation is the doorway of his faith. And then here's the most miraculous thing in the whole text. It's amazing. It surprises everyone. In verse 49 it says, and Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. And he called him towards him. I mean, can you imagine? Just just catch the scene here for a second. This massive crowd of thousands of people hungry for Jesus' attention. Nobody can get his attention. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to do the greatest thing that's ever been done for all human history. He's going to die on the cross for you and me. He's going to pay for your sin. And Jesus, on his way to the cross, says, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. What what stops Jesus in his tracks? It wasn't power. It wasn't fame. It wasn't wealth. It was this blind man on the side of the road who had been marginalized and forgotten and pushed to the side. He stops. The person that everyone else couldn't see, the person that no one else wanted to give time to, Jesus stops and he says, this is the person who's going to get all of my attention for this moment. That's mercy. Mercy, listen, mercy stops to see people. To see people. And what happens is in our busyness, busyness buries people. Right? B- busyness does the opposite. Busyness buries people in the pile of our schedule. We get so 
busy with all the different things that are happening, and they might even be good things, right? You need to take your kids to the doctor, or you got to go to work so you can pay your light bill, or you got to go to school so you can graduate, or you got friends who are in need of help, or whatever it is. You, you got things to do. You got things that are going on in your life, and that's, that's all right. And so you spend long days at your job, and, and you're waiting for a break. You're looking for a vacation, or you're trying to serve at the church, or you're trying to give your life away and, uh, for, for your family, or whatever it may be, but you are so busy that what can happen is we get buried. And the people around us get buried. Right? Not only do we not notice what's going on in our own life, we don't notice what's going on around us at all. We can't see. We just keep moving. And you start missing the people around you and what's happening in their life. I mean, we could go weeks or months without noticing that we have a friend who's hurting deeply. Right? You can go a long period of time without noticing that anyone in your connect group has been in crisis. There's been struggles. There's been pain. I mean, ask yourself, when, who are the people that you, you tend to move past rather than towards? Who are the people in your life? And it doesn't have to be strangers. It can be people that you know, that you are close to. And you move past them instead of towards them. Because I guarantee you, there are people in your life right now who are hurting. There's friends in your life right now who are going through difficult times, who, who are struggling, struggling maybe with sexual sin and are, are trying to figure out how, how to have an accountability partner or a prayer partner, and they're just waiting for someone to come into their life and help them, to pray for them, to be there with them, to encourage them. There's probably people in your life who are another couple that, that might be going through a difficult time of separation or a difficult time of communication and, and they're looking for an older couple or a more mature couple who can help them walk through that difficulty to, to show them what it's like to love each other through difficulty. Right? There, there's, I guarantee you there's people in your life who are stressed about finances right now. I guarantee it. With inflation, with the economy, with all that's going on, I guarantee you there are people in your life right now who are wondering, how am I going to pay the next two months? question is, do, do we see it? Do we see it? Because there's so much going on around us. There's people who are caring for others but have no one to care for themselves. What, what would it look like in your life to stop and see people? What would it look like to stop and, and really Notice them. I mean, it sounds so simple, but just that basic thing to be able to see people is such a deep desire for all of us, right? I mean, seeing people means we have to stop, we have to slow down, we have to notice, we have to be aware, we have to listen, we have to engage. And so there's, there's this sense that, that, that something has to change. I can't continue at this pace. I can't continue with, with the, the way that I'm going. I have to slow down and notice and see. So when we slow down and we see people, what, what do we then do? We enter into their story. This is the second step. It's asking questions. Asking questions. Look at verse 49. Verse 49 goes on to say this, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. 
And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. I love this because Jesus initiates the encounter, right? That the man is crying out to him, Son of David, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. And Jesus stops and he says, bring him here. Well, let's, let's interact. Let's, let's talk to this man. What, what is going on in his life? And, and so the disciples go and they, with a sense of urgency, say, get up. He's calling you, right? He, he, he wants to talk to you. And so these same people who were just rebuking the man for talking are now saying, okay, I guess, I guess you've been called. Come on down. And so they are inviting him in to have a conversation with Jesus. And Bartimaeus immediately springs up. He throws off his cloak. He runs as fast as he can because this might be his chance. This is his opportunity he's been waiting for. He has been longing for the day that he could be in the presence of this promised one. And so Bartimaeus runs towards Jesus. And Jesus does the unexpected again. Look at verse 51. He says, and Je- or it says, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. It's an odd question, isn't it? I mean, here's Bartimaeus on the side of the road, begging for money, can't see, asking for mercy. Everyone in the crowd probably thinks the same thing. He wants to be healed. He wants to see again. And so for Jesus to hear this man desperately crying out, asking for mercy, and then Jesus come to him and the first thing he says is, what do you want me to do for you? Seems odd. Unless you're Bartimaeus. Because Bartimaeus probably his whole life has been categorized as the blind man. In fact, in church history, we actually call him Blind Bartimaeus. Like, he can't get rid of that as part of who he is in the way people see him. And so people often treat Bartimaeus as his issue. They, they treat him as what, whatever is, is uh, an issue in his life, and so he, he can't be separated from that thing and just be a person. And yet Jesus doesn't treat him like a problem to be fixed. Jesus doesn't assume anything about Bartimaeus. He doesn't come up to him and say, this is what you need, now it's done. Jesus shows up and he treats Bartimaeus, not his blindness, as the center of the story. He's not a blind man who needs to be fixed. He's a person who needs to be loved. And so he says, what What do you want, Bartimaeus? What what is on your heart, Bartimaeus? I'm not going to make that decision for you. I want to hear from you your story. What do you want? See, mercy enters into a person's story. Enters into the story. And the best way to enter into someone's story is to ask good questions. If you were here today at Grow Classes, we had a whole discussion on that and, and further than what I'm going to talk about. So I wish I could get into all that. But what, what, is it, what does it mean to ask good questions? Right? Because in order to slow down, you, you have to, or in order to ask good questions, you have to slow down. But then when you start asking questions, you have to be intentional at, of taking the, the posture of a student. Where, where you, you lower yourself down to, to, to not assuming anything or, or projecting anything, but you just want to come in and listen. 
I mean, often in, in our own life, right, understanding is something that we all crave. We, we want to be understood as people, but often we don't give it very often. I mean, how many of us, we, we long to have a friend who could just listen, who could just be there and ask good questions and not, not necessarily try to fix my issues or, or give me advice or, or tell me here's the four steps to change whatever's going on, but, but just someone to sit down with you and understand and hear what's actually happening. How, how do we become that person? To understand what it's like to grow up in your home with your family. To understand what it's like to have your particular struggles. To understand what it's like to have your particular fears and anxieties. To understand what it's like to have your particular family and and, and job and stress and whatever it may be. But to listen to you as a person. See, often there's a difference between mercy and paternalism. See, mercy doesn't start... Uh, mercy doesn't start from the idea that I'm going to tell you what you need. Right? Mercy starts from the position of saying, I'm, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to engage with you. I'm, I'm going to figure out from the position of a student, I want to listen to you. I'm not going to decide beforehand. Right? This is a friend-to-friend relationship. This is not a, a, uh, a healer-to-disabled to relationship. This is not a helper to a helped relationship. This is a relationship where we are peers and I want to listen to you. Rather than helping people from a safe distance, mercy enters into their story. I'm going to listen to what's going on. Where on the opposite side, you've got paternalism, which says, I'm going to declare to you what you need. It's the attitude that I'm, I'm above the person that I'm helping. I'm above your story. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you how I would see it. Let me tell you what I would do if I was in your shoes. Let me, let me tell you about how I've overcome that same thing. Let, let me tell you how I can fix you because you're not a person, you're a project. And what happens is we end up feeling great about being the hero and they end up feeling terrible about being the helped. Why? Because there's different starting points, right? Paternalism declares, I know what you need. Mercy says, what what do you want me to do for you? What what do you want me to do for you? I mean, that's a terrifying question. If, If you don't know how scary that question is, you've never asked that question. What do you want me to do for you? Not, not what I think you should do, but what, what do you really want? Because what they might say might scare you. What they might say might cost you something. What, what they might say might be more than you're willing to, to give up. What they might say is beyond your understanding, which makes perfect sense if it's not from your story, but it's from their story. Right? It only makes sense if it's from your story and you have something you can relate to. But if, if they say something that maybe you don't quite understand, it might just be because you're listening. You're starting to really hear what they're saying, what they're really feeling, what they're really going through. Because you're finally asking the question, what do you want out of this? What do you want? I mean, what an adventure to love people like Jesus did, with with no strings attached, to just say, tell me your story. And I want to figure out how I can bless you. 
I want to figure out how I can enter into your story and show you mercy. It's a scary question, but it's a powerful question. And when you start to ask that question, when you slow down and you ask that question, wholeness happens. And this is the last point, making whole. Look at verse 52. Look at verse 52. It's incredible here. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. I love this. Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Some translations say, saved you. I I love the old King James. It it says, made thee whole. Made thee, it just sounds better. Like it just rolls off the tongue. Made thee whole. But it really captures the sense of the word there. What what the word in Greek is saying is is this wholeness of salvation, this this wholeness of your redemption. It's it's not just your your spirit or your soul that's being redeemed, but, but the wholeness of who you are, your body and your soul. And so in Bartimaeus' case, what that means is Bartimaeus, yes, he got healed physically. And, and that's not promised for every person here in this life. That, that, that's not a guarantee. But what it, what it is saying is that this, this is a whole salvation. This is a whole redemption. And so for Bartimaeus, it meant his body was healed. But also, it says he walked on the way with Jesus. There's something about the healing that took place that Bartimaeus is this example of what it means to have desperate faith and to experience the Savior in the way that he came to save. Jesus came for both. Jesus came to make us whole. Jesus came to make us well. Jesus came to make us new. This this is what mercy means. And so notice the contrast between how the story began and how the story ended. Did you notice at the beginning of the story, where's Bartimaeus? He's on the, the side of the road. He, he's literally in the margins. He's in the ditch on the side of the road, begging and crying out for help. And on the end of the story, it says what? He's on the way. He's walking with Jesus on the road towards Jerusalem. Bartimaeus literally goes from the margins to the center. He goes from from being an outsider to an insider, from being a bystander to a disciple. As Jesus loved Bartimaeus, Jesus was pulling him in to be a part of his people, to make him whole, to make him well, both body and soul. See, mercy is to make us whole. That's what God is doing as he shows us mercy. A few years ago, my dad, uh, he asked me if, if he could borrow my truck so he can move some things at his house. And that, that's, you know, to be expected. That's what happens when you own a truck. People ask to borrow your truck. It happens all the time. I used to have a stick shift truck just for the reason that no one would ask to, buy, or to, to use it. Just kidding. But uh, now, you know, he, he's, um, he's asking to, to use the truck. And so uh, we, we swap cars for a couple of days and I go over to their house and on the way back driving down I-4, I'm, I'm driving his car and I hear sounds in the car. Like over the radio, I could hear this grinding sound that just sounded terrible. It sounded like something was breaking. I didn't know what was going on. I get off I-4 at the exit here for Lakeland. I'm headed towards home, and every time I'm stopping and starting, it's making that sound again. So I call my dad. I say, hey, I know I've had your car for like 20 minutes, but I think something's wrong. Has it always made this noise? What's going on? He said, I don't think so. And he said, what does it sound like? I described it to him. He said, sounds like you need to take it to a mechanic. Do you have a mechanic in town you could take it to today? I said, yeah. So I, I drive by the mechanic, drop it off. 
The guy calls me back later, and he says, look, I got two things to tell you, good news and bad news. I said, okay, give me the bad news. He said, okay, I'll give you the good news first. And then he said, okay, the good news is I know what it is. The bad news is it's not cheap. Oh, thank you. Uh, he said, it, it is your transmission going out, and it's so bad that basically you're not going to be able to fix it. You, you need to take the whole thing out and, and rebuild the transmission. And I said, excuse me, what, what, what does that mean? I don't speak car. I don't, I don't know what that means. You can't just tune it up. You can't tighten it up. You can't pour some oil on it. I don't know. What, what does that mean? And he said, no, no. In order to fix the transmission, you have to take the transmission out and either replace it with a new one or you have to rebuild it and put it back in. And so what he's saying is, in order for it to become whole, in order for it to be well, it has to be taken out, torn apart, put back together, and put in. This is the gospel. Listen, this is how the gospel works. When Jesus comes to save us, Jesus, listen to this, he makes us whole by his own dismantling. In order for Jesus to make us well, like he did with Bartimaeus, in order to make us whole, both body and soul, Jesus had to step into our story. Jesus had to come from where he was in heaven, enter into our story, and, and, and take on our own human flesh and our own body, give himself. Give himself to what, right? He takes our place on the cross, paying the price with his own body. His own body was pierced for our transgressions. His own body was bruised for our iniquities. His own body was slashed for our sins. On the cross, God was taking apart his own son so that he could put us back together. He was taking apart his own son that he could heal us in our deepest wounds. So that he could restore us in our greatest brokenness. So he can move us from the margins to the center of his love and favor. That's what mercy does. See, Jesus' mercy makes us whole. The gospel is good news of whole people. It's more than a handout. It's wholeness. It's more than a second chance. It's complete salvation. It's more than relief for the moment. It's being made new. See, Jesus is a Savior who makes us whole. He's the only one who can liberate us from all our sin and misery. He's the only one who can set us free from our despair and our hopelessness. He's the only one who could get us free from our anxiety and worry. He's the only one with the power to overcome everything in our life, to make us whole, to make us well. It's his love that makes us new. And so Jesus this morning is here asking that same question to us. What, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? I mean, think about that. The God of the universe moves towards you and he says, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, it's, it's a terrifying question. It, it's overwhelming. It seems too simple. It seems like, how could Jesus ask that of me? Because Jesus, listen, he is, he is moving towards you, not past you. Jesus is moving in your direction saying, I want to love you and show you mercy wherever you are. Everyone else may be assuming things about you. Everyone else may think they know what you really need. But, but I want to sit with you and listen to you. I want to love you. I want to show you mercy. I want to meet your need. I want to forgive your sin. I want to be there with you. What do you want me to do for you? Do you hear your Savior asking you that? 
Maybe you're here this morning and, and you don't have any kind of relationship with Jesus like that. And that, that question scares you. You don't even know what to think about that. What, what I want to encourage you this morning is, is you can just start with this. Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Love me where I don't know how to be loved. Love me where I, I don't even know what I need. Have mercy on me. Have mercy. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we come into the presence of the throne of grace, we know that it's you who, who speaks to us in your word. You're the one who can renew our hearts. You're the one who can transform our minds. You're, you're the one who can change every aspect of our life. And so we pray that, God, you would have mercy on us. Have mercy. Have mercy where we've sinned. Have mercy where we're suffering and, and are overwhelmed. Have mercy where there's fear. Have mercy where we, we don't know what the answer is, but we lean on you asking in desperation. Have mercy. And as we cry out for mercy... We expect you to do great things. We expect you to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we ask or think. Because that's who you are. You're a Savior who moves towards us and meets every need to make us whole. We pray you do it today in Jesus' name. Amen.